0: Good morning, church family. I just I just love how God intervenes and moves in a mighty way because the, the the music that that we sung and gave worship to God I think is perfectly fitting for not only this time of year as we prepare our hearts for this Easter season but but for the message that we are hearing this morning that that, that God has laid on my heart and and I pray that we have prepared our hearts this morning. Uh, through this worship service to hear from him this morning. I want to thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to preach again. I must have done something right the last time I was here. So uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach God's word this morning as Pastor Josh is is there in Bethany, Missouri. That's uh, northwest Missouri, there on I-35. I've been there. Uh, I took a youth group there at some campground up there. It's a great, beautiful area. I pray that that God is using him. Uh, to bring forth revival, and I pray that you're also asking for revival here this morning. As we open God's Word this morning, if you haven't done so, start turning your way through the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Colossians, because we're kind of jumping halfway in there, not sure how familiar you're with the book of Colossians. The Colossians is named for the people of Colossae. Colossae was a church, a city. It was on a a main trade route for a while, but then kind of like it happens today where they kind of take the interstate and kind of move it away from these cities, it kind of got sanctioned off. It kind of got cut off from the main thoroughfares and it kind of got off and set off to the side. And and what so happens is what happens a lot of times is they kind of get left aside and kind of forgotten about And when they kind of get left aside and not necessarily forgotten about, but not necessarily the attention to, some things started to happen. They started changing their ways because Epaphras was the man who kind of started that church, kind of heard the messages from Paul's third missionary journey and says, we need to get that church started here. Everything started great for a while. But then because they were kind of cut off from the main thoroughfares, That allowed some heretics to come in and start teaching different doctrine to the church and start saying, wait a second, you're doing things all wrong. We ought to be doing these things. And that's what caused some of these problems. Drove Paul to write a letter from prison around 60 or 65 A.D. to tell the church of Colossae, we need to remember that Christ is all we need. I don't know about you, but sometimes this may be very appropriate to our churches today. Sometimes we get so easily wrapped up in the how of worship that we forget on the who of worship. We get so wrapped up on how we ought to be worshiping. And all the things that we think we need to be doing that we forget on why we're here and who we are worshiping. The church in Colossae was more concerned with requiring circumcision for salvation and what they can and cannot do, what foods they can eat. Lent is a perfect time of year if you want to think about this. Lent, we always know we have to eat fish on Fridays, Right? Did you know? That's why Arby's, known for roast beef, is selling fish. Why? Because in the Catholic tradition, you don't eat meat. You abstain from meat on Fridays. All right? Paul says, it actually says there in the after, we're not going to address it. He says, don't concern yourself about what you eat and don't eat. What you should be concerned with is about the sufficiency of Christ. That Christ's death on the cross was sufficient enough. Sometimes we get so easily wrapped up in the how of worship. We become so passionate about our part of worship that we will have arguments. We will have fights. Families will leave churches. Churches end up splitting because of these direction on how to worship. And in some cases... Pastors are fired because of the opinions expressed regarding the how of worship. Please don't misunderstand me. Because you can easily say that, well, pastor, that means you can just do whatever you want in worship and that will be okay. No, I'm not one of those people. I don't think that's necessarily what I'm saying at all is, as I actually I can point you in scripture that there are direction. And ways we can worship. However, there are a lot of times when we see how we are doing worship and we cannot understand that after 60 years of existence, the church must close its doors. We're doing everything right. We've got all the hows correct. How is it possible that when you're doing all of the right things, all of the how of worship, how is it possible that God would say it's time to close the doors? You know, it's those churches that are doing everything the big churches are doing. The music minister is choosing the right music, and the preaching is biblical. But as I look back one year later, after our church closed its doors after 60 plus years in community, I come to this conclusion. It had nothing to do with how we worshipped. We were doing everything right in that regards. But it had everything to do with the who of Worship. When churches get small, and when I mean small, I mean our final vote was 9 to 2. When we get small, we start worrying about what feels good to us and make sure we don't get worried and get too many people upset because if that happens, we're going to lose everybody. And we start worrying about the how of worship more important than we do the who of worship. When we stopped seeking to please Christ and started to seeking to please the world, and let's be honest, when we start trying to seek what pleases us, we decided that how we worshipped was much more important than who we worshipped. And in that lies the heart of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. We shall not be worried with the how For the how changes. The way we do church now is a lot different than the way church was done 30 years ago, let alone 50 years ago, let alone a century ago. That doesn't mean either one is right or wrong. That just means the how has changed. But one thing hasn't changed. The who is being worshiped. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of his sins. That is why we're gathered here this morning. We are not here or not here because of who's preaching. Because if we are, then our direction is invalid, improper. But we are here. We're here to celebrate. We're here to worship. We're here to learn because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. So when we get Involved in so much about all the politics of church. Can I say that? Here's what Paul says and charges the church in verse 8. Here's what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. as we look this morning in verses 9 through 15 we will be reminded about the power of the cross and the three truths regarding the believer's life in light of the cross so many times I think and I don't know if it's modern and American Christianity or, or maybe it's our own fault sometimes but sometimes we see the cross and, and we, we kind of see it more as decoration we see it as more of an article of art or jewelry we tend to forget what that represents this morning I, I pray and hope we're drawn to his word to be reminded reclaim the power of the cross Follow along with me in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Version. You follow along with whatever translation you have in your hands. But here's what Paul addresses to the church and what he's addressing to us this morning. Verse 8 again says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead. Take note what he says in verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. May we be blessed challenged and encouraged with the reading of God's word this morning. Let us reclaim the power of the cross this morning. This is a message that can transform and change your life. Not because I think it is. Not because it's anything that I think I'm going to be able to do or convey to you. But the message is simple. That the the cross of Jesus Christ can transform lives. He can take those who were dead and made them alive. It's a a, a message that can transform the church. If we keep our eyes on the cross, all things will diminish. It's a message that can transform a community. Think what could happen when people look towards the cross and realize that they are forgiven of their sins. Think about what it can do to a country. And to the world. That's why we have the mission groups. That's why we donate and contribute to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's why. Because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is as live today as it was in the first century. It's as important today as it was in the first century. Why? Because the cross calls us to a different faith. The cross calls us to a different faith faith all other religions talks about what can you do for God they talk about following the eightfold path or making the the five pillars of of Islam you ask about following all the the special sacraments and do all the special activities and all the, the special things for God that's how I was I thought as long as I did enough good things for God, then my merit would be good enough for God. See, it was all about what I can do for God. And maybe he can forget about all the things I didn't do for God. And all the things that kind of went against God and and spat in his face. But see, what we have to understand is that the cross calls us to a different faith. It's calling us to a faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing who he is. Look what it says in verse 9. For in him, and that's referring for in Christ, all the fullness of He dwells in bodily form. Did you hear that? It's time that we sing Christmas songs again. You're saying, Pastor Eric, you're crazy. It's Easter. I mean, it's it's sixty five degrees outside. Amen. And it's like, thank goodness we don't have to worry about Christmas anymore. But why were they singing, "O come, O come, Emmanuel"? Emmanuel was the name given by given to Christ by the angel. Said his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us sometimes we forget who Christ is see a lot of people think that he's just a prophet or he was just a good teacher he was just a good man but he's much more than that he is God in the flesh two things first Emmanuel means God with us second thing Christ is not Jesus' last name It's his title. Christ means the Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. What that means and what we see in Scripture means that he was God's chosen son. He was God's son sent down to earth to save the people from their sins. He had a specific mission, and is being fulfilled through the cross. But in order, to, when you place your faith in Christ, you recognize that he was 100% God. But here lies the problem. Here lies the challenge. And this is what, this is the power of the cross. When they were in the garden and the, the Roman soldiers came and, and, and went to came and take Jesus away, what happened? Peter being big old Peter he took out his sword took out a weapon and cut off the Roman soldier's ear what did Jesus do after that first of all he heals the Roman soldier's ear and you catch what he says after that he says don't you know that I have a legion of angels ready to come as soon as I call What does that mean? Jesus had the power that he didn't have to go to the cross. He was God. Matter of fact, people on the ground when Jesus was hanging on that tree were mocking him. Saying, aren't you God? If you are God, can't you just come down? Can't you do all those things? But this is the power of the cross. And this is how much God loves you. That he endured the cross, even though he was God himself. Why? So you can be made complete. Here's what it says in verse 10. Verse 9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. So often, we fill our lives with junk. Anybody have a junk drawer? Anybody in the support group because you ha- your junk drawer has jumped into a junk room? You know that stuff in that room, like that wooden ice cream maker that hasn't seen uh, life and since like Independence Day of 1990? You know, it's that junk that we accumulate, the stuff that we, we try to hold on to. And I want to think about all the spiritual junk that we're kind of throwing ourselves into and all the stuff we're, we think that we ought to be doing. What happens when we fill our life with junk? Here's what happens. We go out and we buy something new because we like it. And then we try to put it into our room. But because we've got too much junk, there's no room to put it. And that's what happens in... In our spiritual lives too we have so much junk in our life that we can't even think about dividing Christ in our life because we got no room for him. When we fill our life with junk, we leave no room for Christ. What I'm asking church for us to do this morning is focus on Christ. Have your heart open up for him and let him fill the rest of you up. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the things of the world that we try to pursue, that he's challenging them in verse 8, philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, thank, seeking the things of this world, all of that is is junk, and it's it's destroying us from the inside out. And it's keeping us from what is truly making us complete what can truly satisfy our soul that is jesus christ when you place your faith in christ you believe in his deity when you place your faith in christ you are made complete and look what it says in verses 11 and 12 So, for in him, it says in verse 9, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he has had over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's what we need to understand. not uh, Through the, the different faith that we live, it's not about what we do for Christ. It's about what he's done for us. When we have our faith in Christ, we rely on his works. Circumcision was a very hot topic in the first century because the, they were converting a lot of Jews into Christianity. But in in Jewish law, the the males should have been circumcised in order to to be considered a Jew. So circumcision was a big debate within the first century. And then they were debating whether or not those who were non-Jews, whether or not they can receive recognition from God if they were uncircumcised. So what the heresies and the false teachers and were were trying to force and were forcing people to be circumcised. And what Paul's telling them is that we need to rely on Christ's work and not anything that man has done in order to be saved. He says in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You're allowing Christ to come in and remove the dead skin. You're allowing Christ to come in and make you complete. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith and the working of God the most important step and work that we need to do as believers is to believe in Him. Have faith that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And by that action, we have been made clean. We must realize that Christ's intervention is required why because we don't do good cleaning ourselves if you have like a 10 year old boy you know exactly what I'm talking about I can remember when I was young and and one of the things that we had to do we had to clean cars we had to wash cars oh I hated washing cars but here's the trick. Here's the, here's the challenge. We, we try to fake washing cars, right? You just, oh, we'll just put a little bit of water on it, and then we'll put a little soap on it, and then we'll just rinse it off. See, I wash the car. Here's what happens. That doesn't get all the dirt off. Trust me, I know. I had to rewash a car or two in my day. In my day, I'm talking as if I'm so old. What happens is you got to take that that sponge, and while that soap is on the car, you got to get it clean, and you got to get wipe off every speck of dirt; otherwise, it's going to show up. Here's the reality of our spiritual life: we are dirty, ugly people, and one speck of sin makes us invalid to walk with God in heaven. I know this from my own personal life. That we cannot we don't like to come clean about our sins. It doesn't matter if we have to tell our spouse or tell a priest. We keep things hidden. Because we don't want to admit on how dirty we actually are. So what happens? We have unrepentant sins in our life that is just toxic in our bodies. So how can we get clean? We rely on his works. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head and rule over all and and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. This is a reminder of a reclamation that the cross calls us to a different faith. But as we look at verses 13 and 14 and get to the heart of his message, the heart of this letter, the the point that we all need to be reminded, that not only does the cross call us to a different faith, But the cross redeems us despite our past. The cross redeems us despite our past. Look what it says in verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having it nailed to the cross. We must realize who we are. We are sinners. We are dead men walking. you ever seen the movie The Green Mile? The the young uh, prison uh, guard was obnoxious and they were, the Green Mile was the term for those who are in death row and as soon as a new inmate would come in he would yell out dead man walking dead man walking so everybody knew who he was. The reality, church, is that without Christ, we are simply dead men walking. Our sins keeping us away from the relationship with, with God that we so long for. Look what it says. When you are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... We must first realize that God pursued you well before we pursued him. While hidden in the Garden of Eden, God cries out, where are you? Before becoming a disciple, Christ called out, come, follow me. Before accepting his sacrifice, Christ came to you saying, see the nail scarred. We need to remember and realize and understand that the actions of our past have already been forgiven. Let me say this again. The actions of your past have been forgiven. While you were still dead in your transgressions, Paul writes, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. You were once dead, but now you're alive. You were dead in your transgressions. And all those sinful actions, all those things that we did, what are our sinful actions? Go back to the Big Ten. All right? We, we've always focused on the last five or last six. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet your, your neighbor's possessions. When was the last time you kept the Sabbath day holy? When was the last time you didn't use the Lord's name in vain? When was the last time you didn't have any other gods before me? See, those are the first four. Sometimes we like to critique our sins, and we'll say, Well, I didn't really kill anybody today, so that's a win. And yes, that is a win. I'm glad that you didn't kill anybody today. But let's remind ourselves, for the wages of sin is death. I always use this illustration when comparing our sins. No matter how much they are, our sin is toxic. And it is considered hazardous waste. That it doesn't matter how big or how small our sin is. It cannot be welcome in the presence of God because God does not allow sin in his presence. So how can we be made clean? We have to be made forgiven despite our past. You were dead in your transgressions, but you're now made alive together with him because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. But he doesn't just say with your transgressions. Let's also understand that not only were you dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. What does that mean? This is our unbelieving faith. A lot of us know who Christ is. A lot of us know that Christ died on the cross. But how many of us believe that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins? There is a difference between knowing and believing. Consider this. He has forgiven you even before you asked for forgiveness. He he loved you even before you proved to be love worthy. He... The creator of the universe forgave someone like me. But it was much more than that. He didn't just forgive some of our sins. Instead, he has forgiven all of our sins. The cross redeems us despite our past. The actions of our past have been forgiven and the cost of our past has been canceled out. What do you mean, Pastor? Remember I told you that the wages of sin is death? Remember that I said that, that one sin, no matter how big it is, it is hazardous material in God's eyes and it has to be, be, be put away? Scripture uses the term thrown into the eternal fire. That is what the, the, the wages of sin has to be done. But the cost of our past, for those who have believed in Jesus Christ, the cost of our sins, have been taken away. They have been canceled out. Look what it says in this very important verse of 14. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting the decrees against us. Do you remember back... uh, back in the day. And again, I sound like I'm old again and I'm not that old. However, nowadays, does anybody even write a check anymore? There's a few of us that write a check. But back, 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 back in the day, when you bounced a check at a a restaurant or a store, what would they do? Oh, they hang that up there on that board right there by the cash register say, you are guilty of bouncing this check. You have been found guilty and this is this is your, shall we say, sin. Many people, as one author writes in Paul's day, used the word debt to refer to sins. One famous rabbi described God as the great accountant who kept an enormous ledger in which he recorded the sins of every individual as debts. On the day of judgment, the heavenly accountant would tabulate all the accumulated debts and send his angels to impose punishment on each sinner in payment for the debt. The certificate of debt that Paul mentioned is the sinner's debit sheet from the heavenly accountant's ledger that records every one of his sinful deeds words and thoughts. I want you to think about that and think about how big your ledger is. The certificate of debt listed obligations, the expectations of God expressed in his laws that sinners failed to satisfy. The certificate was against us and opposed to us. It testified against sinners and cried out, For their just judgment, this certificate would be exhibit A in the great trial that would occur on Judgment Day. Its detailed account of the sinner's transgressions would ensure that he is condemned and that his penalty would be severe. What did the Romans do for those who needed to be punished? They mailed him to the cross. Paul announced that the good news is that God canceled their certificate of debt. You see, normally debts were canceled in Paul's day simply by Xing it out. Eric Dupree owed seven thousand dollars, and all they would do is they cross over the seven thousand dollars. Eric Dupree. But you know what? Every time somebody walked by, they still saw that he had a debt of $7,000. It indicated that the certificate was no longer valid, but unfortunately the record of the debt was still clearly visible for anyone to read. We must understand that this is not an adequate metaphor for describing the amazing forgiveness that Jesus Christ provides sinners so, parting with the conventions of his day, the author describes and ascribes that Paul insisted that rather than merely Xing out the certificate of debt, God completely erased it. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God loves you enough that not only did He take and cross out your certificate of debt, He has taken it completely away. How? How can He do that? All of the sins that I've done, He can't just simply excuse it. It it would not be justified. How could He have done such a thing? He has taken it out of the way, having it nailed first century when a person was to be crucified for a crime the Roman officials wrote the charges against the person on the wooden placard right above his head the officials hung that placard from the condemned criminal's neck and then marched him into the place of execution when the criminal was nailed to the cross the placard was nailed to the vertical beam above his head so that all who passed by would know the crimes for which he was being punished the gospels tell us the placard nailed to Jesus' cross read these words, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Paul insisted, and we believe as 21st century Christians, as we read today, as believers read the placard that was nailed to the cross with with God's eyes they would have seen something very different recorded there they would see the list of their own faults their own wrongs their own transgressions they would have seen their own spiritual certificate a debt a list of all the sins that they deserved to be punished for why jesus did not die on the cross for any crimes that he committed He was perfect. While he was being arrested again, he healed the Roman soldier's ear. He was a perfect Lamb of God without blemish. He was perfect in every way, yet he suffered and died for our sins and our place so we could escape God's punishment. Jesus was able to erase our spiritual certificate of debt because he paid our debt when he died on the cross. Horatio Gates Spafford was reflecting on Paul's description of our sin being nailed to Jesus' cross when he wrote these words. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin... Not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with our soul because we don't have to carry the burdens of our sin, our, our, our shame anymore. Because he took it all away and he nailed it to the cross so we may have eternal life. Those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ would be just judged as if they have never sinned at all. Church, that is the power of the cross. Not only does it call us to a different faith, but it redeems us despite our past. And as we close this morning, I want you to look at verse 15. It is a very descriptive message. As we are reminded that the cross assures us victory over the enemy. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him church we have victory when we acknowledge that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb we acknowledge that he is the sacrificial lamb what I mean is that Jesus had no fault he had no sin he was the perfect lamb of God the perfect sacrifice for the Jews would have to take the unblemished lamb those without defects those without faults and offer it to God as the perfect sacrifice. That's what Jesus represents to us today. It's something that we give over to God to recognize that he is worthy. We have victory when we acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But it's much more than that. Because we find strength in the empty cross. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He's not there. Why? Because He's not dead. He's not dead. He's not on the cross dying over and over and over again for our sins. He's not on the cross because He's still there. He's not on the cross. Because he conquered death. we find strength in the empty cross and recognizing that his death was sufficient for our sins. The cross, if we want to be honest, was not a pretty picture, was not a pretty scene. They nailed them in their wrists because of the, the power and the weight of, of the body, and they would nail them in their feet, and, and all the weight of their body would be just hanging there for all to see. Jesus was even brutally tortured before then, hoping that he would confess and, and, and try to abandon the cross, but he endured all those punishments, and he was there, and, and what would happen is people would walk by we mentioned that they would mock on them they would spit at them and even worse birds would come by and peck at them but they could do nothing because they were held to the cross that's where we should be they were there as trophies of the Roman Empire saying look what we can do He disarmed the rulers and authorities, Scripture said. He made a public display of them. How? He conquered the cross. And he was taken down and laid in the tomb. And even though they set a large stone in front of it, and even though they sent Roman guards to protect it, death could not hold them. The Roman guards could not hold them. But God on the third day said, Arise, my son. And out from the grave came Jesus Christ. So he conquered death. He made a mockery of the Romans. And he assures us victory over the enemy. Church, if that doesn't give us excited, if that doesn't give us life, then what will? If you go and look for his tomb and you walk into the tomb, you're not going to see him. As the angel describes, he's not here for he has risen. With that message gives us hope. With that message, it assures us victory over the enemy. If you take a look in the mirror, and you look beyond the hairstyle, the clothing choices, and all the other attributes that the world sees, who are you? For the unbeliever, unfortunately, you are nothing more than a dead man walking despite what the world sees. We may be all dressed in the nines and we may all be looking tall and walking tall and living life of luxury of the world despite what the world sees. Spiritually, your sins are destroying you from the inside out. Simply put, as our pastor, Pastor Brock, mentioned a couple months ago, we are in a deep spiritual need, a serious spiritual need of a spiritual detox. Removing all of the sin that is killing us. How can we do that? Do that by finding hope in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe in Jesus Christ, we no longer are dead to our sins, but we have been forgiven our debt has been cancelled and Christ took the burden of our sins and nailed them to the cross declaring victory over death we may not like our current circumstances we may not enjoy this season of life some of us may even want to be skipping through this chapter of life But wherever you are, wherever you have been, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you, and He gave His Son for you. His mission was to endure the cross, endure the suffering, endure the shame, so you can be set free today you can be free of your burdens you can be free of your shame your guilt and your sin you can be free of all that junk that is holding you down from all that sin that is keeping you from experiencing the love of Christ. All you need to do is reclaim the power of the cross and recognize that Christ is all I need. As our musicians come forward, I want to tell you a time of when I recommitted my life to Christ. I was working for a carpet cleaner and we had to work on a Sunday morning. We had to clean carpets in a bar. And so we were cleaning the carpets and, and getting all the work done and we actually got done before church started. And so I'm driving on my way home and I'm thinking to myself, do I come to this church or not? I mean, I'm wearing all my work clothes. I'm wearing just jeans and, and dirty clothes and 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 I'm not dressed like I should be in order to, to walk through those doors. And I can remember hearing God speak to me and says, well, you got to get to church. You, you got to make that decision.